This is the Right Way Podcast. Right Way Podcast. The 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 Right Way Podcast. I'm Catherine Milne. I am the head of fiction at HarperCollins. And this is me talking to Samuel on the Right Way Podcast about books, publishing, writing, and submitting your manuscript for the Banjo Prize. Yeah, thanks so much for the introduction there, Catherine Milne, and hello to everyone out there in digital land listening to this particular episode of the Right Way Podcast Program with me, your host, Samuel Elliott, uh, the person whom you just heard introducing this episode of the show. Today's episode is a very special guest and a very special episode. That was Catherine Milne, who is the head of fiction at HarperCollins. Uh, so this is the second in the Publisher Talk series that we've had thus far on the program, or I've had thus far on the program, the first being with Meredith Kernow from P- and Random House. Uh, but yes, today I spoke to Catherine Milne, who has had a very storied, very successful career within the publishing industry, uh, is instrumental or has been instrumental in the publishing of a lot of uh, very important, very loved Australian titles over the course of a couple of decades. But yeah, Catherine has worked in publishing for many years. She was a former publisher at both Penguin Books, as it was known then, which is now Penguin Random House, as well as Alan Nunwin. And since 2012 with HarperCollins, she has been the head of fiction, uh, as now the head of fiction at HarperCollins. So it was an absolute pleasure to talk to Catherine Milne about shop, talking shop, uh, talking about the industry. It's uh, still a rarity to get to hear from such a literary luminary about the inner workings of the industry. So I do encourage you to get your pads and pens out there, start jotting down notes because it was a really invaluable chat there. So huge thanks to Catherine. But yeah, we covered the industry, the ins and outs, what it's looking like post-pandemic, how that's kind of changed it. Is there more or less titles being published? Is it more selective? what sort of titles are coming out as they're recurring or common threads or themes found throughout and as well as what you sort of need to really do to make your manuscripts stand out from the thousands in which Catherine would uh, have passed across her desk as long as uh, as well as Catherine also giving sort of uh, some really really valuable advice about those looking to become published authors as well as those looking to also work within the industry as well the various sort of unsung heroes that make these uh, publication of these titles getting these Australian and international stories out there to the reading folk the reading consuming public so yeah without further ado i'd like you all to give a big digital round of applause to Catherine milne head of fiction at harper collins talking with me about the literary and publishing industry Catherine, thank you so much for joining me on the right way podcast program this beautiful somewhat chilly afternoon how you doing well it's bloody cold isn't it i am very cold i'm sitting here shivering hmm I must say, yeah, I've got, I did have a jumper. I don't know where it's gone. So now we've, we've started, but I'm just going to be warmed up by this lively discourse that we're going to have. <laughs> that's my, my reasoning. That's the aim. That's the aim. Brilliant. Catherine, what I want to start with is uh, pandemic, post-pandemic, what the industry is looking like these days. Has it changed a lot? Has it not changed much in terms of uh, the amount of titles being released? What's, what's sort of been going on in your experience? Look, I feel like publishing is like the... you know, like the Queen Elizabeth II liner. It moves very slowly um, and it you can turn it around and you can change direction, but everything happens quite slowly. That being said, right now we are um, in iceberg territory, the publishing Mm. industry, with um, the cost of paper going up, um, COVID staff shortages, we had disaster at Christmas, last Christmas, with 
um, couriers and freight forwarding companies falling over, books not getting to where they were supposed to get to. So in a sense, there are, um, there are dangers and whirlpools. I'm just going with the nautical metaphor, you can tell. And um, uh, all sorts of kind of um, tricky things to navigate mm. around us not least of which, of course, is post-pandemic and the way that everyone has changed their work, moving from being five days in the office, no question about it, the whole company together, week in, week out, to now being much more uh, flexible. There's much more flexibility for staff, like with every other, most other industries. You know, some people are working in the office two days a week, some three days a week, some have gone part-time, some have moved down the South Coast, you know, so that mm. the, the whole industry, work is changing. Our modern world is changing. Publishing is changing along with it. I, I have, you know, it's... Yeah, I, I, I don't know what is going to happen. I, in a sense, publishing will keep on rolling. We keep mm. rolling. We keep publishing books. We keep putting them out there. We keep responding to trends. Um, we are a very analogue industry in some ways in a digital world. Um, but, but we just keep going, you know, because people love to read. So that, that is our engine that keeps us going in this big old, you know, QE2 liner. I used to work for Pinot Cruises, so I was feeling like a little bit of nostalgia <laughs> of the Cunard line mentioning there. Um, <laughs> Catherine, so that, that, that to me sounds like, yeah, there has been kind of fraught with problems as everyone's sort of experiencing in this sort of new world. But does that mean that that necessitates less titles that are kind of coming out as well? It requires somewhat of a tighter sort of lineup for, for titles that are being released as well? It's interesting. I think every publishing house has their own, um, makes their own decisions about mm. how many books they take on. I think particularly in this era of blockbusters, uh, my sense is that we shouldn't be throwing spaghetti at the wall. We shouldn't be, um, we shouldn't be just giving things a burl to see what happens. Mm. Publishing is always about considered risk. Um, and in a sense, the rewards are potentially greater, but, um, but the chance of a book breaking through and selling 50,000 copies, 100,000 copies is now much, much smaller. Mm. So... Uh, what was your question? Should we be doing fewer books? That's my feeling that we mm. should be doing fewer books. Um, I don't know about you, but sometimes I go into Kinakunya or Abbey's, you know, both in Sydney, and I look at the number of books on offer, on display, and my heart sinks because I think, how is a reader going to find the books that I've published, books by my authors? It already seems like there are so many books out there. How on earth do books possibly cut through? Um, I, I don't know. I don't know. It's, it's tricky, isn't it? Mm. We, there were, the problem is that pe 
publishing in some ways still runs on the, the idea of the fairy tale success, mm. doesn't it? Like that overnight success, a book that you put out into the world thinking you might only sell 5,000 copies and something about it takes off and it sells 50,000 copies. That is, that still happens. And that is still the dream. And that is, you know, that dream is still kept alive. So publishers feel it. Authors feel it, readers feel it as well. We all want to be part of that fairy tale when it happens. And so that makes us take on books that where you think, yep, this might sell three to 5,000 copies or it just might do really, really well. So that's, that's what we think. That's, that's what we think. That's why we always tend to do probably too many books when we should do less because one, we can't help ourselves. Hmm. And two, you know, we just, we just think maybe it could maybe it could take off. Isn't that the dilemma as well? Because then you've got the dilemma of determining if you take on new previously untested sort of authors, debut novelists against a sort of uh, known to be, if not prolific, then pretty regular in terms of the amount of, of titles they release, you know, within years span. And there's that, there's that, I guess that, that one you sort of face is, do I take on new untested authors whereby you could get that 5,000 or that 50,000? It's always a balance, isn't it? You've always got authors on your list who are going to be coming back every year, every two years, every three years, but you've got to keep your list alive. You've got Mm. to keep, yeah. And that's what we do. We we're always looking for new talent, new, new voices, you know, things that thrill us and excite us, things that we haven't seen before. So, you know, you you want to, that's your job as a publisher, to bring those voices up and have them be heard. But at the same time, you, you just, you, speaking as a publisher personally, you've got to be aware of how much you can handle, how much you can read, how, you know, how much energy you have, how many books you have on your list for this month, for that month, for the year, how many books can your, you know, publishing house deal with. So it's always those hard decisions that, you know, it it comes down to, you know, should I take this book on? Do I love it as much as I need to love it in order to make it, in order to give it a really good chance in the market. What makes you love a book? What makes a title stand out? Because, I mean, yeah, there'd be so many that come across your desk from yeah. so many different methods and, and means. I mean, you know, what, what, what sort of... Um, I've heard, Catherine, that you were instrumental in sort of um, Trent Dalton's Voice Rollers universe. So I heard that you, you hassled, hassled him for a book and then... And then <laughs> yeah. And then Voice Rollers Universe yeah. is, is kind of what gave yeah. you both gave to the world. So, you know, what, what was what was that? You know, within the context of either with Trent Dalton's debut novel or anything, what makes them? What makes you fall in love with them and stand out like that? Ah, oh, look, well, that's the thing, isn't it? It's like that's really hard to describe. If I asked you, you know, what made you fall in love with your, you know, your last partner, it's just like mm. it's really hard to to say. Um, mm. To, to put it in words, I, it's just a feeling you get. Um, you, you've just got a, you've got a gut instinct about things. Um, there was, do um, you know, there was, uh, you know, maybe about 10 years ago, there was a big fashion in, particularly in the US for, um, for writers to go off and do, you know, a master's in fine arts in creative writing. And, you know, certainly 
quite a few of those courses are offered here now in Australia as well. But I remember reading, you know, any number of, you know, novels that would come in from literary agents, particularly in the States, and they say, you know, this person had these short stories published, they've done a MFA at this university, um, and here is their novel, and you would read it and your heart would sink because mm. it is perfectly unexceptionable. You know, mm. there is nothing that you can point to to say, this isn't working, you know, it's unbalanced, the voice is wrong, the tone is wrong. There was nothing that you could criticise about those novels. They'd been so perfectly formed but they just didn't have the spark. They just didn't have it, you know. And, and I don't know what that magical X factor is, um, but it is, you know, it, what sets apart Harry Styles from the rest of One Direction. You know, it's got, he's got it. He's got it in that same way. Yeah, I reckon, you know, Boy Swallows Universe had it from the get-go. Um, other, other writers have it too when you when you read something and you're just like your back, the back of your neck starts to prickle and my hands start to get sweaty because I want to publish the novel so much. I think it's about humour, it's about voice, it's about wit, it's about poignancy, it's about emotion. Does this novel make me feel anything? Does it make mm. me think anything? Um, George Saunders at, um, in his fabulous book about writing and I always forget the name of it, you know, A Russian Pond in the Rain with da-da-da-da-da. Do you know the one I'm talking about? No, I don't. I do know George Saunders, though. <laughs> okay. He wrote this fabulous book about writing. And one of the quotes from it is, you know, he, he asks his students when they're interrogating short stories to ask themselves, what did I feel and when did I feel it? Mm. And that's what I tend to ask myself, you know, what did you feel? What was that feeling? Oh, why did you feel it? Like, does does this does this manuscript make me? Does it does it put me in a different headspace? Do I get lost in it? Can I put it down? You know, all of those things. So, sorry, that's a very unscientific way of saying I don't know. But you just take a bet, right? It's just it's all about it's just a punt. We're taking a punt, basically. Every publisher is. I think that was a pretty good answer to a pretty mm. tough question. And so it's obviously, it's ineffable. Like, how can you possibly, the way you described it, a couple of different things that stood out for me that I really liked is trying to describe how you fell in love with your last partner or what made you fall mm. in love with them and the, the One Direction stuff. Maybe we can talk off the, <laughs> off the recording about what's been going on with Liam Payne and the rest of the One Direction bandmates. But for the time being, um, Catherine, you've been at HarperCollins for, for 10 years now, I think, 10, 10 yes, years? Yes, I just got a little frame certificate. Oh, so did you? Oh, good is, stuff. Yeah, truly, 10 years. So I want to know what, what has made HarperCollins as a publishing house, you stay there for that time? Like, what is it you've loved or you've loved contributing to? What is it about that publishing house in particular that's made you want to yeah, stay there? Yeah, interesting. Well, I, I stayed at Allen & Unwin almost, almost, was it nine or almost nine years? So uh, that's, that's, you know, just the way um, I roll, I think. But one, it's the people. The people <laughs> are fantastic. Um, we have a really strong team of funny, bright, intelligent, committed people, and I just love working with them. It's also a great company to work with because 
um, when, when there is something that feels like it is going to take off, mm. we have the marketing muscle and the budget to put behind those books. So, you know, we're one of the, you know, big, big six, big five, you know, uh, publishing companies um, in Australia and around the world. So, yes, you know, obviously we've got the money to put behind a book and make it really big. Um, but what else? It, but it also is um, that what happens is that, you know, you get approached sometimes to work for other publishers or you get, you know, that little... Um, you know, uh, feeling of um, restlessness, you know, should I be, should I, you know, you know, should I be working with someone else? You know, does another publishing house do this better? But then what, what I always come back to is I have all, I have spent, you know, it, you know, years building up a list of authors that I love working with, mm. you know, that I can't wait to see what they write next. And leaving that list, leaving those authors would be incredibly difficult. So it, it's all of those things. It is the team that I work with. It is the, the fun that I have at work. It is the authors that are, you know, built up, to, to, you know, and, and worked with and, and trust and respect, you know, to the point where, you know, I see someone's name in my inbox and it makes my day because I think, oh, my God, XYZ is either about to deliver, wants to have a chat to me about writing. You know, these are amazing creatives and I get to talk to them, you know, like on a daily or a weekly or a monthly basis. And that's, yeah, well, yeah, why would I leave that? It's, yeah, it's wonderful. Wonderful answer. And I mean, it's so important because I think one can't progress or success or flourish without the other. Yeah. Like a publisher needs a great title, a great mm. author needs a publisher in order to bring their yeah. stories to the world. I can't like, when I think about that in practice, it just blows my mind. Uh, yeah. I'm sure there's a nicer way to put it. I'm just not good with words, but in terms of symbiotic sort of relationship, because that's well, absolutely. Uh, yeah. But it is one of the most, collaborative industries mm. you could ever think of, which is that, you know, um, you, you work with, you know, I work with the author to um, get them, you know, formulate their thoughts in, get their manuscript to the point where both the author and I think that it's really in really good shape. We then pass it over to the copy editor and then the copy editor digs in deep and goes all granular. Then you've got the proofreader and then you've got the person who's doing the typesetting and then you've got, you know, the legal person if it needs to be legal. And then just this team of people, let alone then what happens with the marketing and then the publicity. And all the time it is this team of people that are holding up this book. And I, I kind of think of it as keeping a balloon, this you know, those big, mm. beautiful sort of multicolored, um, you know, when you're blowing sort of soap balloons and you've got this big, beautiful floating um, thing, which just everyone is keeping up in the air um, by virtue of their efforts and excitement and passion. And, and that's, that's what our job is about. But, yeah, it is incredibly collaborative, very team-based, 
takes a village, et cetera, et cetera. It's definitely an industry, and you mentioned passion there as well. It's definitely an industry that I think is, is united by passion because, you know, it's, it's not always the, the pay or, or the, the, the fame and fortune, but, um, you know, by the, by the passion of right. the reading and yeah. the writing. We're all readers. We're all readers, just like, just like you. So mm. that's, that's, that's the thing that unites us all, isn't it? It isn't. It isn't. It. And I find it um, one of the industries whereby... I don't know if it's just Australia, the scrape of Australia, Catherine, or what, but I just find the industry to be, particularly with publishing houses, there's no sort of a corporate espionage or rivalries that go on, sort of bitter rivalries. At least that I've found, it seems to be that everyone kind of supports no. one another and knows one another. I've had it's a small of- industry here mm. in Australia, and um, everyone knows everyone else, and people do move between publishing houses. And mm. so, you know, like... You, I think you had Meredith Kernow on your um, podcast re- recently and she is absolutely gorgeous and such a good publisher. I'd say the same with Vanessa Radnich at, at, um, at Hachette. You know, it's a good industry to be part of. Well, it's an industry you love, it's an industry I love and it's something you've, you've mentioned earlier on talking about the iceberg. You are saying about the iceberg before and I want to kind of know from you as to what you think potentially if there is one sort of issue or threat that's facing the industry and if so if it's something that requires major reform or change to kind of uh overcome it or if it's something that for example could be down to a granular level of a listener listening to this episode that might be able to help in some way what do you think oh look i i don't um you might need you know um, i feel like i'm a bear of little brain with questions like that you might need to speak to someone far more high up the food chain than me i mean my feeling is that you know there are a few obvious things that threats that are facing the industry and obviously paper prices and covid and post pandemic and all all of those things are sort of you know lurking in the background diversity is a big big issue for our industry as it is you know, also for publishing in the US and the UK, you know, a lot more needs to be done to make, to, to, to open up the industry, to be more diverse and to publish more diverse voices. That's a really important thing. Um, I'd also say, and I, maybe this is slightly left of centre, but I referred before to the age of the blockbuster. Mm. which is, um, and that's absolutely, we're smack bang in the middle of that now. And so you get a book like um, Where the Crawdads selling blah, 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 you know, huge amounts of, you know, you've got the TikTok book selling, you know, like dominating the bestseller charts. You've Mm. got, you know, the gorgeous um, Dictionary of Lost Words selling, you know, over 100,000 copies. And all of that is wonderful and good because it means that people are reading and all of that is great. But what it means is that the social chatter is really limited to a very small number of books. Mm-hmm. And and yet, as I was saying, you know, you walk into Kinakunya and there are riches there, riches. Um, but some books will only sell. This is about, you know, I guess it's about that sort of death of the mid-list in some ways. But mm. some, you know, a lot of books are only selling one to two to 3,000 copies. Other books are selling, and a tiny proportion of books are selling huge number of copies. How do we, how do we balance that? You know, how do we say to someone, yes, you've read the Alice Osman, you know, um, books. Yes, you've read these books, but why don't you try these books by, you know, absolutely fabulous, you know, like 
you know, young Australian YA authors. Mm. I, I guess that's the thing, is that it feels like we are, we are living in a world where social media is so dominant, dominant that it, is, it limits the number of titles and books and authors and ideas and voices that we are exposed to. Do you think it's a double-edged sword? Like, as it kind of, you mentioned TikTokers, because they have the power now, I guess, you know, predating me, but with, you know, 20, 30 years ago, it would have to be critically raved and reviewed within several sort of prominent correct, papers. Correct, correct, correct. Yeah, yeah, totally. The, the gatekeepers have totally changed. And that mm. is also one of the, you know, the, the dark whirlpools <laughs> to continue that. That that it's not a whirlpool so much as it's just a shift. It's just a change. The gatekeepers have changed. It's not, it no longer is it, you know, you get a, a re- great review in the Sydney Morning Herald and, you know, your book is made mm. or you get booksellers to love it, the book, and your book is made. It's just, it doesn't work that way now. It is so, um, what do you call it? Uh, what's that word? I'm making the gesture here. Oh, yeah, sorry, spread, listening. I'm saying a spreading out gesture. <laughs> Either spreading out or a swimming gesture. gesture. It's one of the it's two. A spreading out gesture. Um, which is that there are just so many gatekeepers. There are so many people, you know, whether it's, you know, podcasters or bookstagrammers or the old-fashioned bloggers or booksellers or TikTokers or so many people that we need to reach to tell them about a book that it just makes our jobs harder. Mm. Mm. Well, yeah, how can you possibly remedy that? I mean, like, that's just something that's... That's, we just have to work harder, Samuel. Yeah. <laughs> That's the thing. <laughs> I don't know. You already worked pl- plenty hard. So, yeah, I guess it's just, I guess, I don't know, because I see a lot, I don't use TikTok, and I didn't even know about this TikTokers phenomenon until Meredith told me about it. I've, ne- I've mm. never known, and now that I know there's festivals are catering for it, it's, mm. it's really this, this mm. fixture now mm. that's kind of accepted, mm. no longer mm. kind of considered this novel thing. Um but I do see a lot of, you know, Instagrammers and book, and book reviewers that, that definitely champion um, lesser known titles or emerging sort of Australian mm. authors, not, mm. not just Auslit, but also, yeah, for yeah, the YA. backlist titles. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And I mean, there's some, the, the YA community is probably one of the best and strongest that I've seen that I've kind of had the pleasure right. of, of experiencing yeah. within yeah, the yeah, Australian yeah. Sort of sphere. It's, it's just, yeah. it's just amazing. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I guess, I don't know, how would you, what would you possibly say in terms of just, I guess, champion titles, not just the big ones. I knew you were going to say where the crowd I'd seen. I knew when you were like pausing, I'm like, <laughs> I still, I still haven't read that. I, I, I am to, to read it before I do go and say the movie, but um, yeah, I guess just champion. I, I, I think that's, I mean, that's the thing is that there will always be communities of interest. It's mm. about, you know, how do we reach them? And I am all for, you know, like a, you know, a, a, a community or an individual reader um, being passionate about and, you know, because that's the basis really of our in- industry, isn't it? Mm. It's, it's what we call hand selling, which used to be done in effect by the bookseller, hand selling to the person who came into their book. It's word of mouth, it's hand selling. And what, what, we're seeing now is that that word of mouth has been supercharged by social media um, to the point where 
you know, a TikToker can post a video with, you know, her crying about the end of, you know, about Circe or, you know, one of those books or, and, and then, or the Colleen Hoovers. And then mm. we see the impact on the, the bestseller charts um, in following weeks. So look, I'm all for it. I'm just, it, it's just something we have to navigate and, think about how, how we can work with it. We can't influence it. You know, you can't have a middle-aged marketing manager on TikTok awkwardly trying to be down with the kids because that's just like cringe-making. But, you know, we have to be aware of it and we have to um, understand it and we have to see the ways in which we can work with it because it's not going to go away. It's not going to go away, but then you can also, I guess you don't have to try and do like the, I don't know if you've seen Steve Buscemi and 30 Rock where he tries to pose as a young person. I'll send, I'll send you a photo later. That's very good. You have to, you have to watch that <laughs> please one. do, please oh, do. But um, in terms of, yeah, so, you know, I, I'm not going to be able to pass myself off as a, as a hipster, a hip young teen on TikTok either. But I think that another way that uh, certainly within the context of HarperCollins uh, that you've established is prominent competition to really enable a huge amount of submissions to come through and then to kind of find something that again, like what we've talked about where you, where you, where you're vibing with a book where you, where you just have some sort of immediate sort of this, such a strong sort of connection with it. So what about that Catherine? Talk a little bit about the Banjo prize because I know it's launched heaps of careers. Um, yeah. I mean, Danuka McKenzie's and Veronica Landau's as well, Lando yes. as yeah, well. Yeah. So tell me a little bit about that because that's something that I think is really a great way for would-be debut novelists to kind of get their yeah, work out. Absolutely. Publishing us. No, I, uh, we launched it about, what now, four years ago, mm. um, in part because at that point we didn't have an unsolicited submissions portal. Um, it was... We, and we didn't have that just because there were only really two fiction publishers at the time and we were all, we were just too busy. And, you know, once you open the gates to unsolicited submissions, there are a lot of them mm. and it's really hard to keep on top of. Whereas we wanted to, um, to have a competition. We wanted to see the things that people were writing we wanted to be able to launch careers um, and we wanted it, we wanted to, unashamedly, we wanted to, to look for the big new storytellers. So not, it's not a literary prize like the Penguin, um, you know, literary prize. Mm. It's not like the Matt Rochelle prize, which is again, more literary. This is reading as entertainment. So we were absolutely open to genre fiction to um, to rom-coms, to crime, to thriller, to historical fiction, to sagas, all of that. So we started it, as I say, about four years ago. We've had extraordinary, extraordinary response. You know, we get something, you know, between 200 and 300 submissions each year. And last, was it last year? Um, it was the year that we picked up not only um, Danuka, but we picked up, I think it was that year. No, 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 sorry, it was last year, where we picked up not only Veronica Lando, but also we um, also acquired another two novels from there. And we could have almost acquired maybe 
one or two more but you know it's just there are only three of us and we can only do so much but it was just like the wealth of talent was absolutely fantastic so mm. for anyone who is thinking you know should I just throw my hat in the ring I am saying yes we I think that the banjo has just closed entries have just closed for this year but we'll be opening it again you know early next year you know, like get that manuscript out of your bottom, bottom drawer. You just never know. And the interesting thing about, you know, judging the banjos over the last, um, you know, three, four years is we would see writers coming back. We would mm. see revised manuscripts coming back. And um, it was interesting that we saw writers coming back. We saw manuscripts coming back and, and, and sometimes they rose, you know, it just took two, two, three years and they rose to the top of the pile. Yep. And so, you know, it's like, you might not be successful one year, but you might've been noticed. So it's like, you just never know. So have a go. Definitely keep going is what I'm taking from Definitely those. keep going. Oh Always. yeah. I mean, you've got to do your 10,000 hours, right? You've oh, yeah. got to, you know, if that manuscript doesn't work, you know, start a new one. Um, Go, to a, go do a six-week course, get inspired, read a new book, go back to it, rework it, decide, you know, lock off that first chapter. What does that do? You know, it's like um, you can do all sorts of things, but it's, yeah, you've just got to keep going. Brilliant advice. Um, Catherine, I think that we'll have to cut it there, but it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you on the show today. I greatly appreciate you taking the time out of your hectic schedule to have a chat with me on the show. Delight listeners with all your invaluable knowledge. So thank you so much for sharing all that your insight because it's... Uh, You're very welcome. You're very welcome. Greatly appreciate it. Okay, well, have a lovely day now. Thank you. Thank you. So everyone, there you have it. That was me and Catherine Milne, Head of Fiction at HarperCollins, discussing the industry, the in, ins and outs, the inner workings of the industry. Uh, so yeah, I hope you enjoyed the chat as much as I did. I uh, found it to be absolutely invaluable to hear from Catherine about what makes a manuscript stand out, what you kind of need to do in order to make it stand out, along with the, what's kind of going on within the industry post-pandemic as well. So yeah, really loving these chats. It's been an absolute joy speaking to Catherine and Meredith as well. Uh, so hoping to continue along in the very similar vein of speaking to other sort of literary luminaries down the line. But yes, in the interim, huge thanks to Catherine for taking time out of her hectic schedule to talk with me about shop like that. It was hugely appreciated. And I'm sure that I'm not the only one that's grateful. I'm sure that all of you listening to this episode as well are supremely grateful for Catherine giving us her insight like that. So yeah, huge thanks there to Catherine Milne for talking to me on the show. And you know the way I like to get now while I'm in the thanking mood, I'd really like to thank you, dear listener, for listening to this particular episode of the Right Way Podcast program, as well as you know what I'm going to go with this next, listening to the ever-proliferating back catalogue there as well. So thank you so much for doing that. Really enjoy going back, seeing those numbers, seeing old, old episodes from like October 2020 when I was first starting out, didn't know anything about anything. And yeah, just a kid of a dream chasing it uh, when it came to speaking to cool writers and literary luminary folk. So thank you so much for listening to all those episodes as well. If you haven't already, be sure to give a cheeky follow on the Spotify if that's where you're listening to this uh, or listening on SoundCloud as well. Huge thanks to those for listening to this on both Spotify and SoundCloud. One of these days I'll figure out that confounded Apple iTunes podcast style as well and go for a mass upload there too so stay tuned because that's something I've got to I keep putting off but I swear I'll do one of these days but uh, in the interim yeah stay tuned a lot more episodes coming your way some very very exciting guests 
as well uh, in keeping with this sort of uh, this is an absolute roller coaster ride of insanity I can't believe how well this show's doing and the lineups that are coming through so I'm so grateful to you for listening to this episode and telling everyone about it as well so I'm just going to continue riding this insane roller coaster because I'm having a hell of a time but in the interim I bid you all a delightful day afternoon or evening whatever time you're listening to this on but thank you for that